0: There's lots of questions I don't have answers to. So where do we go when we have questions? And it's easy if it's like the big ones, like I just said, but like, what do we do when things that don't make sense, like someone we love dies and it shatters and shakes our world and everything was fine before that. and We didn't ask very big questions. But all of a sudden we're, we're having to face the fragility of life and the fact that there is something after we die or not. And you feel like the weight of eternity on you, Right? We, we just, we feel it. Well, not this past Monday, but the week before, so about, what is that, 10 days, 11 days ago, we had a friend named Joe. Did Joe come in and talk with you guys? Yeah. So Joe's wonderful. He's been a friend of our families for like 15 years or so, um, and we love him very much. And um, he was in town, and he did a little thing in here. I don't know if some of you guys got to join us in that, but it was kind of a prayer prophecy night. We were just encouraging one another and stretching some muscles of learning how to Attempt to hear God for the purpose of encouraging another person. How do I encourage them? God, give me, what's your encouragement that you want me to give to that person over there? That kind of deal. Well, you know, the typical, like, going to church joke about, like, you get in a fight on the way to church and all that stuff. Well, we were late, and I was really frustrated because I wanted to be here on time. And I was supposed to help facilitate some of it. But I was, like, con Trav, and I was, like, or Travis, our pastor Travis. Trav, Trapper Keeper, I have a bunch of nicknames for him. And I was, like, hey, dude, like, (laughs) I'm running late. And he's, like, I got it. And so we come in late, and my family sits in the back row, right over there. And I'm trying to cool off from feeling frustrated that I wasn't doing my responsibility well. I wasn't thinking holy things. Let's just put it that way. I was like, oh, I can't I just, we shouldn't even. We should probably just go home or whatever. But my kids sit down. My three boys back there, and my wife and stuff. And then you know, Joe gets us all activated and starts making us move around the room. I don't know if you were, for those who are here, we had to be like come over here and pray over here. Come over here and do that. And so I'm like. All right, you know, i got to be a good example. You know, I'm a pastor here. You know, so I get up. Hey, I'm being real, okay? Like, I I have stuff just like you have stuff, so don't judge me. So I'm like, all right, i got to get up. You know, i got to participate. But my kids stay back. They choose not to. It's fine, whatever. We start to do things. And about 15 minutes in, all of a sudden, I see, I look over, and my son, Elias, who's nine, who doesn't believe in Jesus, and he will flat out tell you, I have questions that aren't answered. I don't believe. That's the way you'd answer it. I have questions that aren't answered. I can't believe. He says, until God resolves these things, if it's really him, I'm not ready to fully commit. And I've told him time and time again, don't follow Jesus because daddy tells you to. Don't follow Jesus because daddy's a pastor. You follow Jesus because you've encountered him in such a way that you can't deny him. Then when you do that, then you own it and it's not because daddy made you do it. Right? And so I look over and my son is over there and he has, he tells people, close your eyes and raise your hand if you want to prophesy over somebody. And my nine-year-old is standing right over there and he's like smiling like this. And I'm going, what? But you don't even believe in Jesus. Like, this is, is this wrong? Is this heretical? Like, what do we do? Like, do I stop him? Like, I don't know. So I'm like, oh, we'll just let it see, see what happens, you know? And this woman comes over and she gets close to him and she, and the whole game of the deal is he, the person giving the word, the prophetic encouragement, doesn't open their eyes. So they don't know if they're talking to a, a young person, an old person, a male, a female, nothing. It's just a, I'm going to hear it and see God have put, God's put something on my heart or mind to like share as an encouragement for whoever's in front of me. So she puts her hand on my, my little boy's shoulder and he goes, you are, mar-, I mean, that makes me emotional what I'm about to say. Because it's like nine-year-olds don't talk like this. Especially ones who don't believe in Jesus. And he goes, you are marked by loving kindness. And God is loving kindness, and he wants you to increase in loving kindness. And people are going to know that he is real because of your loving kindness. And all of a sudden, this, like, 30-something-year-old mom of, like, six kids just, like, starts weeping. And literally, she gets down on her knees and is weeping on the floor. And then my little boy never even opens his eyes. She takes his hand off. She goes, and she's crying in a puddle. And he goes. (laughs) And he's, like, waiting for the next person. Then the next person comes up. And it's a buddy of mine. And I'm going, okay, like my buddy, he's, he's, he'll, be, he'll be great because he's a mature guy and he can kind of encourage Elias in his attempt or whatever. And he puts his hand on Elias and Elias goes, the Lord's saying, the time is now. Quit wasting time. Come on. And he goes, do what? He goes, it's time. Like God's been doing something. He's preparing you. And he's saying right now, like you, no more delay. It's time. And you know what it is. And he's going, Uh-huh. And he goes, and he's a mess, because Papa Joe gave him the same word, like, the day before, because he was stopping by the church, and he met Papa Joe, and he gave him the exact same word, and he knows That's exactly so what it's great. about. So and we're sitting there going, I don't even know if I believe in this stuff. What is happening right now, you know? So then, like, you know, the night goes on, it's super fun, and we're bad parents, because it's like 9 o'clock, and I had to have dinner yet. And so we finally get home, and yes, we went to McDonald's on the way. Don't judge me. It was cheap and fast. So we're eating home, eating McDonald's at the, at the, at the island in our kitchen, and Shelly and I, my wife and I are going, hey, dudes, like, how was it tonight? And all of them are like, it was awesome. It was awesome. I'm like, why? Like, God was there. And I'm like, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he was. And then Elias is like, it's the best night of my life. And I said, well, why? He goes, well, first of all, I gave my life to Jesus. And I was like, yeah! Like, oh, my gosh. So I ripped off my shirt. And I, no, I didn't do that. But I could have. I, I would have. Like I was so amped. I was like, oh, you guys, I was like, tell me what happened. He goes, he goes, well, he's like, as I was sitting in the back when we first got there, I think I started hearing God. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I'm sitting there going, is that God? Or is that like what is that? Like I have these impressions of God wanting to encourage people. And I'm like, huh? So I get this motivation to say, well, I think I don't. I need to test it out. Because, he, again, he's like scientific. He's, a, he's an intelligent little dude, and he like, likes things. So he's like, I'll test it out. I'll do a hypothesis. He knows what that word is. So he goes over there, and he's like, I'm doing that. And then God, people are confirming that they're being, God is meeting with people. And it keeps happening. It seems so natural. He's like, so after that, he's like, I went to the back, and I was sitting there, and I was just thinking, what am I doing? Like, I still have questions that aren't answered, but I can't deny you. And he says, so I, and then he tells me basically like the Romans road process. He's like, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I, we talk about Jesus, don't get me wrong, but like, I don't know if I've ever said it is better than he just did. And he like basically says, so I led myself through the process and then said, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. So he led himself to the Lord. I know. I'm going, what? So this is, this is what was so beautiful. So then we're like, obviously like, you know, like. Thank you, God. Cause like I'm like, am I a bad dad? Like I'm a my kid don't love Jesus yet. You know, like is there a time you're supposed to? I don't know. You know, I like, give all these insecurities and thoughts, right? But I'm like, thank you, God. And then he sits there, and this is the most beautiful part for me. His eyes fill with tears. He's sitting at the kitchen island eating McDonald's, and his just and they start running down his face. And he goes, You know, I used to be so afraid. He, goes, I was afraid of my questions. He says, was afraid about hell. I was afraid about not understanding who God, how God's never been created. I was, I was, I was, I was afraid of not understanding how, how he can be everywhere all at the same time, at any, any place. So he can be anywhere in the world 2,000 years ago, right now, and 2,000 years later from now, all at the same time. Because this is what the Bible teaches, that God is outside of space and time. And he goes, I'm sitting there thinking about these, and he's like, I used to be so afraid of all this. He says, but Dad, I'm not afraid anymore. And he says, and not all my questions are answered, but I don't have to be afraid anymore. And I was like, that's right, buddy. And he's like, but what do I do when I don't feel like God's close to me? So then I go and I pick him up. I say, come here, bud. And he's big now. He's like heavy. So I'm like picking him up and I'm holding him like this. And I'm like, do you feel how close I am? Yeah. I said, God now, because of the decision you made, he's even closer. Forever. Not sometimes. Not when you feel like it. Not when you feel his closeness. But then what do you do when he doesn't feel close? forever God is like this, where he's holding you between his shoulders. I said, but what do you do when you don't, when you don't feel like God's close? He's like, I cry out to him. I'm like, right. So cry out to me. And he's like, what? And there's this weird little imagery thing in the middle of the kitchen at 9:30 now at night, when they should be a bed an hour ago. And he's sitting there like, dad, dad, he's like, this is so weird, dad. I, I know, Bubby, hang in there. You know? And I'm like, even when we don't feel the nearness of God, he's near because you put your faith in him. And even when you cry out to him, and even if you don't always hear him perfectly, because the Bible actually tells us in First Corinthians that we don't hear perfectly from God, that we, sometimes we get it wrong. And sometimes we're, our, our own end of our emotions, our junk, our relational dynamics, just the human experience, sometimes it clouds the airwaves, right? But God is always available, and he's always going to be able to break through as we cry out to him, because he is understanding. He is wisdom. He is the answers to the questions and the problems that we have. Do you understand, buddy? He's like, I do. I'm like, all right. So then, he keeps going. So then we're laying in bed last night, and he's like, but what about science? Because he likes science. And I don't know if you ever heard that phrase. He's like, but isn't science like truth? And I'm like, no, it's not quite like that. I said, science can be true. I said, but what do we know about truth? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what does the Bible teach us? And he says, well, Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm like, that's right. Jesus is truth. So if something is in agreement and congruent with Jesus, then it's true. If something is not, it's not. He's like, but what do we do about science? Well, there's these facts and these questions, and people have it. Usually, are trying to resist the gospel or resist the Bible and, and, and Jesus. And I'm like, well, science changes, buddy. I was like, did you know that for, like, generations, they would pick at scabs because they thought the white stuff was healing your wound when really it was creating infection? So people lost, like, limbs for, like, hundreds of years because the truth, the science of that day said that's what you're supposed to do. It's like science builds on itself. I'm not saying science is bad. Science is amazing. I can nerd out pretty hard on it. But it constantly is being improved upon the previous thought understanding of truth. And you're constantly being, you know, it's being refined as you move forward. Said when it comes to, to God, his truth is yesterday, today, and forever the same. It's a yes and it's an amen. So it's like, okay. So that's been the journey a little in look in my, just last week, this has been my last week, every night at my house. These conversations every night. I guarantee when I go home after this, if my boy is still awake, because sometimes he stays up, he's the oldest and he likes to stay up later, he'll ask me some question. And I'll be laying in bed next to him, and we'll be praying, and we'll be talking, like, what do you think God says about this? And we just search it out together. This is what God wants to do with you. I'm not Mr. Superdad, and I'm not saying I'm God but you have questions that you don't know how to answer. You need wisdom, but you don't need earthly wisdom. You don't need man's solves the problems. You need God's solves the problems. But how do, you, how do you get wisdom? How do we grow in wisdom? I, I mean, I feel like the problems in this only seem to increase. Maybe that's just like every generation thinks that, like it's harder now than it's ever been. Maybe it is i don 't know. It definitely feels like there's something new every day that we have to fight with, whether it 's in interpersonal like a new place of anxiety or depression or relational dynamic or fight with my girlfriend or boyfriend and my roommate and I aren't on the same page the it's just like the drama of life, but then there's like Putin wanting to blow up the world and there's you know there's there's just tons of stuff you know the life feels like it has constant this, you know there's a pandemic there's Economic concerns. There's there's life. How do we get wisdom? What is wisdom? I want to spend some time. We're going to look through a lot of scripture tonight, and I hope you can hang in there with me. But we're going to let the Bible teach us what wisdom is. Is that okay? Because I'm telling you, we need it. We need. I'm kind of speaking a little bit like prophetically, or like kind of saying, "Hey, I think God is speaking about this generation generation right here in the room." You guys, need, you guys, I'm going to believe it, are going to be marked as the most wise generation of, the, of, of any age. I believe that over you. There's going to be a, a discerning wisdom that God wants to give your generation to have the solve to this world's problems. I'm jumping all the way into my, my last thought that I had on my notes, because I told you i building the plane in the air. So we're going to, usually you don't do what I'm about to do in preaching, okay? But I'm going to break it. But I want to go ahead and tell you God did not set up the planet just to have some doomsday destruction end and result. Okay? That's not what he did. He did create a planet that then sin entered, and now the the, the planet and the world that we live in is under the weight of sin. So that is a reality. We are going to continue to have problems because sin continues to exist around us and sometimes through us, and it's a reality that we have to address, right? But God put people on the planet like yourselves that you might have the answers to the world's problems by the way in which you inhabit the spirit of God and the discernment of God in the way that you live your life. You are the solve to the world's problems in the way that you abide and walk with Jesus. Period. You, not somebody else. Any teachers in the room? Want to be teachers? Okay. God wants to radically transform the way that you instruct and encourage and enlighten young people. Whatever you're teaching, he wants to radically blow your minds. Any finance people in here? Any? couple? All right. There you go, there you go. You should study and look at what God did through um, uh, John Calvin back in Geneva, okay? If you ever get time, look it up. John Calvin and 26 of his buddies moved to Geneva. It was considered the armpit of the world. It was the grossest city of all of Europe. It, there, was more, there was more jails than there were churches. There was more um, brokenness, prostitution. Um, the streets were disgusting. It was—it was, Everything about it was just disgusting. And within a short period of time of like 15 years, through pr- taking the gospel and implementing it, specifically in the economy and how they address economy, it revolutionized the whole city. A church got placed in the center of everything. People's lives started getting saved. There's only two prisons that, or jails that remained after that, after the whole process. They closed down something like, like 20-something jails in the city. Radical, and it was all based on some of them being accountants and financial people and the way that they address biblical principles to economic issues. God wants to do that through you. Right? We'll see if God says any more, but those two stood out to me, so I'm just gonna say that there. But God wants to use us and He wants to take His wisdom and He wants to embody it and manifest it in His believer. In us. He wants to see. So what is wisdom? Well, I'll just say this real quick: Wisdom is the mind of the Lord. Wisdom is the mind of the Lord. What's on His mind? If you agree in your mind, you're operating in wisdom. It's, it's divine revelation. Maybe it's a prettier way of saying it. Practically, let me say it like this: like, I'm looking at this chair right here. Okay, this chair you're sitting on. In natural wisdom, says that's a chair, and I can see that it's about that tall, and I can see that it's maybe made. Well, this feedback. Okay, it's fabric, it's kind of firm. I wish it was a little softer on my tush, but you know, it'll work, right? But what happens is when you step into places of wisdom, in this analogy, is it looks through the chair and it sees the structure. Oh, I see the springs. I see the cotton that wraps around them. I see the way that they use this, this like vinyl material that they staple around. I took a nerdy furniture building class in college, so I love this stuff. But like, I can tell them how they, how they use these staples to adhere this vinyl material that keeps the tension so that it holds its firm so, uh, firm shape long term. And I can tell it has a steel structure on the backside so that it doesn't give when you lean against it, but it can hold its support, right? Wisdom is seeing past what is obvious and see something even greater. And God needs, the world needs, for people, for us, to agree with God that we might look past the obvious and see the supernatural around us so that we can agree with God on what he wants to do in the earth. And he needs teachers to do that. He needs accountants and financial people to do that. He needs people who are going to be nurses and healthcare providers. Lord knows we need that. Because there's, there's illnesses that we can't still solve and we need people to step up their game and saying, God, I'm going to abide with you and agree with you that I might see past the obvious and see the supernatural. I need divine revelation. We're going to look right now into Proverbs 8. I'm going to start reading. Just hang in with me because it's it's a long passage. I won't read all of it. I'll break it up, but hang in there. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O oh people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You, are simple. you who are simple gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, listen, for I have trustworthy sayings to you. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instructions instead of silver. Acknowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So much was just said right there, it's hard to begin to unpack all of it. So I'm just going to hit a couple points here. But first thing I I felt like God said was that it says, listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. When you agree with God, you can agree that what you're agreeing to is right. The question is, though, that I have for you is do you trust the character of God? Because if you throw God's character into question, you'll be way more or less inclined to actually operate in wisdom. Because how can you? Because if you're thinking that the one who is wisdom can't be trusted, then you're not going to find yourself in agreement with them, and you're going to try to do your own thing, and you're going to reap the reward of that, which is going to be a heartache. So how you perceive God as good or not will absolutely impact how wise of a life you will live. Isn't that wild? It's absolutely wild. How we perceive God's character matters in our ability to gain wisdom in this life. The second thing that I felt like he spoke out of this portion was that it says that for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. And the thought I had was that there's no greater treasure, there's no more precious of a prize, there's no uh, worthier pursuit than the wisdom of God but then I was thinking, well, how would you, how would you know if I even value wisdom? And, and the thought was like, oh, it probably cost me something. If he's comparing it to these precious things that cost you something to gain them, then there's actually a place of living costly towards the Lord that you actually might agree with him. So the second thing I want to say is you can't live a wise life if you live a safe life. Isn't that wild? Because you think, oh, safety is like wisdom. You're just playing it safe, making sure everything's tucked in. No, not ruff, ruffling feathers, but actually obedience, costly obedience is actually when you actually step into the place of wisdom with the Lord. And I even think that some of you guys are dealing with some stuff right now where you know God's been speaking something to you and he's been nudging toward you something, but you're sitting there weighing the cost, which is biblical and right, but it's keeping you from actually obeying because it's scary. And you're like, surely I can get through this in a better way. And I'm telling you right now, if it's obedience to Jesus, there's not a better way. There's not a better way than obedience to Jesus. That's so good. And you're, sitting here, you're feeling the cost of the decisions you're making. You're going, oh, man, God, I know you're telling me to do that, but I'm afraid to do that. I'm telling you right now, it's the best decision you'll ever make is obedience to Jesus. Yeah, I know true. that it's costly, but that's actually when you start to step into it. Because yeah. wisdom costs something. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing I want to just kind of point to is that it's wisdom is personified here. Did you notice that? There's something that shifts in the language that the author is using, and all of a sudden it's I, wisdom, is talking. But what is the word? The word of God is God. So wisdom is God himself, and he's now speaking from first person to us. I think whenever God speaks in first person to Scripture, you need to pay attention. Just a good rule of thumb in exegeting Scripture and and taking Scripture into your life. Whenever God's talking in first person, you're like, I need to pay attention. So let's pick up where it is in Proverbs 8, starting in verse 12. I, wisdom, God speaking about himself, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. Some strong language, Mr. Wisdom. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Evil behavior and perverse how we speak will tell us how wise someone is. You know, I heard it said um, that, you know, when someone will will, will cuss or use crude language, it's really a sign of, of, you know, like poor intellect, but even worse character. And it's like this idea that, like, oh, you have nothing of wisdom to say, so you just kind of default to something crude. And I don't say that as rebuke, but I say that as a what comes out of your mouth? Is it wise? Is it in agreement with God? Do you know what prudence means? Here, I'll give you another example in Scripture. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous person weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Another translation says, the heart of the righteous person ponders how to answer. When someone is provoking you, are you quick to respond or do you pause? I'm being honest. Are you quick to respond or do you pause? Because the heart of a righteous person ponders how to answer. That means it takes time. I can't believe it. (sighs) Give me one second. What do I do here, God? I want to kill that guy, but I'm not supposed to. How do I respond, right? This is prudence. This is the definition of prudence. Prudence is is when the fruit of the spirit, which is, you know, the peace, joy, love, joy, uh, uh, self-control, all that kind of stuff, right? Self-control is the one I want to point out here. When the fruit of the Spirit, you allow it the opportunity to manifest in you, and you choose self-control over reactivity, and you say, God, I'm choosing self-control, and I'm going to allow you to speak through me versus me be reactive. So this is a huge part of how I want to see wisdom manifest in your generation, where we are no longer reactive to one another, but we're responding to God. God has made you to be reactive, not reactive to people, but a responder to God. So what kind of friend are you? Are you a friend of people who are good to you? Are you a good friend because God told you to be, and you're being responded to Him versus reactive to when that person's good to you, you're good to them, and when they're bad to you, you're bad to them, so good. right? Like, who are you? What kind of student are you? What kind of daughter or son are you? What kind of roommate are you? You know, when they don't do the dishes and you have to do it, and then you're just really ticked off, and right? Let's just get a little real here. We got to find some analogies that you know I, we can all relate to, like you know, and like, are you reactive? And the things that come out of your mouth are wicked? Are you one who's a righteous person who ponders how to answer? And you say, God, I want to be a responder to you versus reactive to other people. This is the heart of God. This is wisdom. This is what God is inviting us into. He wants this generation to look different. And it's because they're marked by wisdom and they just do things differently. in the way that they choose to abide with Jesus. Because reactivity is not godly. And then he picks up in verse 14. says, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. Okay, I want some of that. I need some of that. God, I don't have insight. I need help. God, I need, I need a supernatural power to intervene here because I feel weak and helpless in this situation. And then he goes on. He says, by, my, by, by me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. He's speaking his authority over all things right here. But sometimes I feel like wisdom is something that gets kicked to the curb because somehow we begin to think that our generation has been enlightened versus any other generation in history. Have we ever done that? I'm not even speaking of your, I'm a, I think I'm technically a Gen Y-er or something. Kind of like early, early millennial Gen Y person. And I think my generation thought the same thing. So I don't know if you guys would agree to that, but I think we did. Where it's like, oh, we know better, unlike all these other jokers the last 7,000 plus years or whatever, you know? It's like all of a sudden we know better. Right? But we know Ecclesiastes, I have that written down somewhere, 1 9 says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. But somehow we think that, like, oh, our generation, we actually know better. We don't actually need the, the ways of God, we don't need the wisdom of God. And we see this pattern happen generation after generation throughout history. Read the whole Old Testament. One generation comes on and they do things the ways of the Lord and they are blessed and they are prosperous and there's healing among the people and the nations of the earth and then the next king shows up and he's evil and wicked and he leads people away from the wisdom of God and they fall into debauchery because they think they know better than God. This pride rises up in every generation or at least the temptation of it. We think, oh, I don't, I don't need the wisdom of the Lord. I know better. I got it. Don't worry about it. Please do not be the fool. And I'm not calling you a fool. I'm just saying Proverbs does. It actually says it a whole lot, <laughs> so don't be that, right? It makes me think about Acts 17, where Paul is traveling, and he is among uh, the Aeropagus, Orop- uh, is that how you say it, smarter people than me, Aeropagus? It's that council that's really smart, they're a bunch of religious people, and it's like, it's the Aristotles and the Socrates of the day, okay? They're theologians, they're philosophers, they're thinkers, and they're proud. And their wisdom at the time was, let's, cons- let's consider all things. Let's just let everything be true. Do you, doesn't that sound similar to today? Wow. Right? Like, like a universalist belief system where it's like, oh, it's all kind of the same thing. You know, it's like, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations. Uh, it's like an elephant in a room and we're all blindfolded. And, you know, I have this leg and you have that and you have like the trunk, but it's still all the same elephant. I'm like, well, who's the person, like, turning the lights on in the room and seeing outside subjectively knowing you're all actually grabbing the same elephant? Right? Like, that, that philosophy is pretty lame quick, right? You're like, give me a break. Like, just so you know, the Bible doesn't, the Bible draws clear lines about things. Jesus is very clear about what is righteous and what is unrighteous, what is true and what is untrue. And if you want godly wisdom, you've got to agree with Jesus even when he's drawing hard lines. Now, he does it all in compassion. So if you have a bad attitude, you're still doing it wrong. If you're being unloving to somebody, you're still doing it wrong. But you can be compassionate and clear at the same time. Yeah. Don't think those are in opposition to each other. The world will tell us that, and I want to redefine definitions like the word love. But who, you know what love is, according to the Bible? God. God is love. So if he says that's unrighteous and that's evil and don't do that, it's because he loves you. Not because he's trying to demonize the person that struggles with it. He loves that person. He says, I don't want you to hurt. Be free from that. So we have to realize that the Bible draws really clear lines and that there's nothing new under the sun, but yet we always try to have these new philosophies, these new ideas of the day. And Paul shows up and he's at the Oropagus, or however you say it, and there's all these people gathered and they're sitting there talking about all these gods and all these different ways to heaven. And like, let's just leave every door open just because we don't know. And they're trying to play it safe, right? And Paul, after observing for a while, he sees that there's a statue to the unknown God. And so he uses it as leverage. He's like, do you know about the statue of God? They're like, yeah, like we just were afraid we might miss one, you know? Like what if there's a God there we didn't consider? And he's like, well, let me tell you who that God is. And this is what he says in Acts 17. He says, for a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, and I found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, us, gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if, people, if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far for out of reach of one of us, For in him, we live and move and exist. So this is what he's saying. He's like, hey, this is nice and all that you're considering all these things, but there's actually one God. He's the creator God, and he created all mankind, and he's actually the God of solution. And why this matters is because when we're reading about wisdom in Proverbs 8, pick up in verse 22. So I'm just sitting there reading through Proverbs, okay? That's all I'm doing. But this is what he says next. Speaking about wisdom. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. First thing God brought forth, ever, was wisdom. The first of his works was wisdom. Before his deeds of old. So before all the things we can think about in history that he has done. First thing he did was wisdom. I was formed long ages ago. At the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When... When there were no springs of overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth, before the, he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so that the waters would no, not overstep its command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, when I was const- I, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight, day by day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighted in mankind. Do not, disregard, do not disregard the fact that God knows what's best, and there's nothing new under the sun, and there's not a problem you're facing today that he can't solve, and there isn't some new ph- philosophy or religious idea or theology that's going to trump the truth that Jesus and him crucified is the way to the Father and that he died and rose again for our sins and that he's after the pursuit of people's hearts and minds, that he might renew them, that they might be wise themselves because they're manifesting the godly agreement that's happening in their heart and their mind. Yes. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is the desire of God. You, this message will last today and it'll be relevant 50 years from now, it'll be re- relevant 500 years from now. It was, re- it was relevant 500 years ago because this is the wisdom of God that, that surpasses all time and all space. Don't believe all of the talking heads and the podcasts and the narratives that are out there. There are so many voices. I feel like this is the talk all the time anymore. It's talking about the voices, right? Can you not agree with that? Like, it's like, yeah, here he goes, talking about the voices again. Tell me I shouldn't listen to, you know, TikTok or something, I don't know, whatever. Like, I'm just telling you, like, you need to know how to sit with God and meet with God and let God speak to you and fill you with his wisdom that you might have the solutions to your problems, and you're not going to find it through some app and you're not going to find it. You need to sit with God. Yeah. That is wisdom. Uh, yeah. He defines himself as that. And he's saying that he's before the beginning of creation. And he's saying there's nothing new under the sun that you there's no problem where he's going, "Oh my gosh. I didn't think about that one." Dang it. I don't I don't know. Uh, I'll close my eyes and pick a number. You know, I don't know like no, no, he is well capable of meeting your needs. Is he not? He's well capable of solving the biggest problems on the planet. I don't care if it's global warming. I don't care if it's nuclear fallout and war. I don't know. I care if it's economic disaster. We have a king on the throne who has all wisdom, all wisdom for all ages, and we are fools if we don't go to him as that source. The problem is, is we don't. I'm talking to the church. I'm not talking to non-black. I'm talking about the church. We'll go to him when it's convenient or when we agree with him. But when he offends us and his word is, his wisdom is different than what we want, we start to pick and choose when to obey. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And no longer are we operating in wisdom because information doesn't transform you. That's called knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's when you do something in obedience to it. And this is what God is inviting us into. And he's saying, this generation is is called to be the the answers to the world's problems. And they're made to be wise in the ways of God. And they have answers to the world's problems in a way that marks their generation where people say, there's something different about this people. There's an agreement that they've made with God that trumps all the talking heads, all the noise, all the, the new experts of whatever. There seems to be a new expert every moment who has the new greatest idea about whatever. And I'm like, let's just go to the word of God. And then let's learn how to sit in the presence of God yeah. and let's agree and obey him. Yeah. And let's just see what God might do. Yeah. He'll change the world through you, not in spite of you. Yeah. He doesn't want to work around you. He actually wants to work with you. Wow. This is the desire of God. That's part of his wisdom. He says, the world will know that I exist because of how you love one another. Like we play a part in God's plan just in loving each other. This is the wisdom of God. We're going to jump to, um, because of time, we're going to jump to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go there real quick. I would encourage you just read Proverbs like crazy. It's wisdom literature. It's inspired God through Solomon, Solomon through God, however you want to do it. And it's, it's beautiful, and it will wreck you, and you'll be like, oh, I was thinking wrong about that. <laughs> It'll constantly be like twerk, you know, changing and, you know, tweaking the way that our heart's function as we read it so i, I just encourage you to finish reading proverbs 8 i mean there's so many good things but just i don't have time for it all but first corinthians 1 let's start in verse 18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world, sorry, for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs, and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preached Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The foolishness of God, like the petty little scraps of his table, are more precious, more valuable more significant, more transformative than the wisest thoughts of man. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom for God, from God? That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What, what I need you to know is this. is To identify and agree with the wisdom of God means that you identify and agree with Jesus. But to identify and agree with Jesus means that you're going to have to be understood up front that you're going to be misunderstood by the world. Because the wise truth of God is foolish to those who are perishing. So people who aren't agreeing with God are going to be like, you're nuts. And if you haven't been called crazy yet, if you're going to choose to follow Jesus, buckle up because you will be. There needs to be a sober reality that there's a greater, again, I'm not Mr. All-knowing, all-seeing person, but there appears to be a greater divide coming. We're already in it, where those who choose to follow Jesus are further from those who aren't. And it's not because we don't love those who aren't, but they are more resistant to the gospel and the the wisdom of God, and they think they know better, right? Right? And so you, if you buy, just by association of a follower of Jesus, if you're going to dream with Jesus, you have to recognize that that's going to be felt greater and yeah. greater over time. So then I ask the question, well, at what cost are you willing to do that? I mean, some people it's like a hundred bucks and they'll bail on God. Some it's a million. Because following Jesus isn't just because I think sometimes people follow Jesus because he happens just to be going the same direction they are. But the moment Jesus says, take a left, (laughs) they go. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Do you not agree to that? that, Even in your own heart, be transparent. I'm not preaching to somebody, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. Sometimes we follow Jesus just because we happen to go in the same direction as him. Because it's comfortable and he makes us feel good because he's so dang loving and he is good. But in his goodness, he says, you know what? Like, we got to go left here. And you're going, but I don't want to go left. But do I follow the wisdom of God or do I stop? At what point do I know better than Jesus? Have you ever tried to reason with him? Of course you have, because you're human. And it's ridiculous. (laughs) Right? And I think God is wanting to teach us that there's this, there's a cost, as we talked about earlier. But it's a worthy cost to be associated with Jesus because one of the greatest benefits is we get the wisdom of God on how to navigate this life. I've never said yes to him and regretted it, ever. I've never it, regre- and I've made some really dumb-looking yeses. I've left careers. I've moved states to places I've never been. I never stepped foot in Arizona when I decided to move here because God told me, and my family to move here to plant a church. I love living here. It feels like a gift from God that I have the privilege of living here. But I didn't know that. I had to like suck up the fact that I had to tell my folks. I'm moving to Arizona and they're like, where's that? And they knew where it is. But I'm saying the point was like, you've never been there. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, I feel like God's speaking this and I'd rather trust his wisdom for my life than what I think is best. Yeah. Right. And sometimes, some of us, even right now, you know God's talking to you about some stuff and you're going, ugh, and you feel that tension. I'm, I'm pleading with you. You'll never regret saying yes to Jesus. Whatever it looks like. And what hurts the most is when it's misunderstood by the church, just for the record. It's one thing when it's like someone who doesn't know the Lord or it's family and it's complicated, but like when it's like, hold on, like this is like my tribe and my people and they're saying, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Right? now I do encourage you that it says in Proverbs a wise man has many advisors and that we are made to walk in the lonely or made to walk in families and so we walk out that obedience and hearing God and processing what God's speaking in community and we submit things to one another we don't make the decision before we tell anybody because that obviously shows that we're trying to manhandle and control what we're trying to do or not do but we offer it to people in, in community and say God I'm trying to hear the Lord I feel like God's speaking this what do you say like there's a healthy holy way of doing that right But when God has spoken and community's behind you and the Lord's behind you and it's biblical and you're like, I know God's saying this, do it. Even if you're misunderstood. Even if it's by the church. Because we're not perfect here at Antioch. I'm I'm for sure not. So if you're trying to like impress me, don't. You're wasting your time. I'm serious. Don't look for my approval. Obey Jesus. That's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not looking for your approval. You can write this as a a, a C-minus tonight when I leave, when I'm done preaching. And I'm going to be okay because I heard God on what to say tonight. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that arrogantly at all, I promise. But we shouldn't be trying to compete with one another or impress one another. We should just be falling in love with Jesus together and learning how to obey him together. And so this is what God is asking us to do. I, I need to land the plane, don't I? Do I need to land the plane? Is that like five to ten more minutes? Okay. I'm sorry. If you need to leave, you're released. God bless you, and go do whatever you need to do. Okay. Let's pick back up, though. So I just, I just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right, and it ended, and now we're going to go into the next chapter, because for the record, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, they have these verses and chapters, but in reality, they were just big, long letters, and there wasn't these clear breaks. So sometimes I want to encourage you to keep reading to see how the next thing connects to the previous and all that kind of stuff, Okay. So we're going to continue here because there's this thought that is being communicated by Paul to the church of Corinth, and he he wants them to know something, and it's all continuation, okay? So we just read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, now we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 6, and he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Man, this sounds just like Proverbs 8, doesn't it? But yet it's still relevant then because it's still relevant now. Proverbs 8 was written a long time before Paul showed up. Just a like, timeline, very far apart. But yet it's a repeat of that. It's like this, like, man, we're still dealing with the same garbage. People are still thinking that they're smarter than God. Why don't they just humble themselves and say, I need you, Jesus? Right? But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Whew, that's a hard comment. It's like your wisdom is coming to nothing. It's a whole bunch of hoopla. Garbage. Baloney. Any other funny word I can think of? No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for the glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Because that was the wisdom of that day. The wisdom of the wisest at Jesus' time said, oh, I think I'm going to kill the Savior of the world. Isn't that crazy? And now God in his master plan used it as a way of redemption because God leverages every evil thing that the enemy intends to do. He works for good, right? If we allow him to, we could actually just choose and accept evil or we could say, you know what, God? I'm asking you to step in in your wisdom and leverage this evil thing for good. How do I agree with that and tell me what to do, right? And that's what he did on the cross. All right, let me find my spot. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. That is powerful. I could hang out there for a while. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things. I want to know what that is. Doesn't that make your like, heart beat faster and go, ah, oh, I'm so intrigued right now? The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What he's saying here is when you accept Jesus in your heart, the supernatural exchange that happens is you give God all of your sin and baggage of junk, and it says the Spirit of God comes and lives within you. So if anyone in here has never accepted Jesus as Savior, tonight could be the night for that, where there's this massive, incredible exchange where you're saying, I'm gonna give you my junk, including my foolishness, my lack of wisdom, and you give me your spirit, which actually discerns even the depths of God, because who knows the depths of someone except for the Spirit, and who knows the depths of God except for his Spirit? Oh, but when you get saved, his Spirit comes and lives in you. So you actually have access to the deepest wisdoms of God available to you through your confession in need of him. Wow. Isn't that radical? This is, how we, this is the first step of gaining wisdom. It's not just like reading something, even the Bible, a whole bunch, though that's important. right? Know it. Know the Bible. But it's beyond that. You actually have to put your faith and trust in Jesus to have access to his wisdom. That is how we begin this relationship of wisdom. And then I love it. It says, who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And it says, but we have the mind of Christ. This is actually speaking of an Isaiah 40 passage where it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or who can know the ways of the Lord or instruct the Lord as he counsels? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him or who taught him the right way? Who, has made, who, who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? This Isaiah passage is talking about how freaking huge God is. And he's like, hey, you are small potatoes, everyone is compared to God. He's so big. But then Paul takes this Old Testament passage, right? And he pulls it up and he says, Actually, you know what happens when you start to follow Jesus? When the Spirit of God goes in you, you actually have the bow who can weigh all things in his hand? Who can have access to something this powerful? Oh, you do when you put your trust in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? What was used as like an in-your-face, you rebellious Israel people in Isaiah 40 actually is now being redeemed in a 1 Corinthians passage saying, actually, when you accept Jesus and you humble yourself to his leadership, his power, that same power now resides in you. And that power is wise, and it's discerning, and it gives you wisdom that surpasses not just the obvious, but it sees through the chair. It sees the deep things that God wants to do, and he tells you how to do it, even when the world says, but I just see a chair, and you're saying, but I see a structure, and I see springs, and I see some God's doing something deeper, and you make different decisions based on what God's eyes, the lens that he is giving you in that moment. Come on. This is what God wants to do in his people, and this is what he's inviting us into. I'm going to start to wrap up. My man, hop on the keys, wherever you're at. Thanks for being patient with me, guys. A couple practicals, and you will probably never hear me preach a sermon, maybe once in a blue moon, that doesn't include this. But humility is required for wisdom. Because humility means that you're teachable. And if you think you know better, then you are choosing pride. And he actually says, as wisdom that we read earlier, I hate pride. Because he says, basically he's saying, I hate when people choose to be unteachable. Because they can't receive me, wisdom. Because wow, wow. they're actually resisting me, wisdom, when they choose pride. Wow. Thank you. Humility is so important. And I believe that an increase in wisdom is an increase in discernment. And God longs for you to be a discerning person. Don't you, don't you want that? Don't you want to have like this like sixth sense in the Lord where you're like, actually, I feel like God's showing me something here that's kind of bigger than just on the surface level. Like, that's a nice thing to have when you need it. So there's this, like, increase of discernment, but I felt like God said, to be discerning of God, we have to grow in three areas, intimacy, familiarity, and trust in him. And I want to just break these down real quick. So to grow in discernment with God, we need to grow in intimacy, familiarity, and trust. So if we are not intimate with God, then we will not know the ways of God. So it's like Moses, right, where he knew the He knew the ways of God because he was intimate with God, but the Israelite people just kind of knew the deeds. So, you'd be somebody who could describe what God does, but you actually don't know why God does it. You're missing that. You you can describe the chair, but you're missing the coils, right? Intimacy is required to be able to know in the heart of what's on God's heart, to know them, to have your mind renewed and have the the mind of God. So, all this that I'm talking tonight, trash it if you're not spending time with Jesus. I'm being serious. Like, just, just, I wasted your time and I'm I'm really sorry. Because really what you need to do is you need to cultivate intimacy with God where you know how to, even if it's for five minutes, don't put some religious rule on you. And don't say, oh, I have to read this and I have to pray this and I have to worship this many times in song. Like, remove all that. Just wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, give me five minutes of your presence. And I don't need anything else. And though the Bible's helpful, and though worship songs are incredible, and though all that stuff's good, like, God, I'm in my shower, maybe for five minutes in the shower. God, can you just inhabit my praise and my heart is just going to say, God, I need you. Will you show up? That's where wisdom starts. It's in that intimate place when no one else is looking. Because what you don't need is more information. You need transformation. And that's wisdom applied. It's when you start to do something about it, and it's not just, okay, I got this other ism that I learned about theology or whatever. Who cares about that stuff if you're not changed like Jesus? Like, that's what we need. We need God to change us. The second one is familiarity. If we are not familiar with his presence and his word and his convictions and his opinions, we can be easily duped in what sounds like God but simply isn't. How many times have you on Instagram saw someone's post and they have like the, the the word post where it's like some quick phrase that looks really cool and it's like they took a lot of time to graphically make it look pretty and all stuff. And you're like, ooh, like that kind of, that hits hard, right? Like that feels good. That slaps, right? Is that outdated now? Marty, is it too late? Is it still relevant? mean that slaps, you know? But the thing is, is if you actually took the time to like process what was written, you realize it was somebody just trying to get likes and it was just like this next... Idea of man's wisdom, but it actually wasn't the heart of God and anything that was said and the way it was said or even the truth of the matter what it was said, right? Like, we need to, if wisdom smacked you in the face, would you know it was wisdom? If wisdom graces your ear, would you know what it sounds like? I'm being honest. Like, if you're not familiar with God, yes, you have to be in intimacy with him, but if you're not familiar with walking and saying, oh, I've learned what his convictions are about things, I know I'm learning God's opinions about situations. So then, when you see something in front of you, or you hear something, you can immediately have a discernment to say, you know what? That actually doesn't sound like God. It sounds romantic in that little thing that they wrote there, as they talked about love and they used like religious words maybe or whatever. But if I actually look at it, that doesn't agree with Scripture. Then it's not God. There has to be a maturing in us as a people to grow in wisdom that we might be discerning, but it comes through intimacy and it comes through familiarity. We have to spend time with him and get used to him or we'll be easily duped in things that sound like God but that simply aren't. And the last thing I felt God said is we are not, if we are not trusting, because so we need intimacy, we need familiarity, we need trusting. If we are not trusting of God, we will not be obedient to implement his wisdom into the world. And then we will be increasing in information, but not transformation, which ultimately is resulting in foolishness. And I just encourage you to read Ecclesiastes, where he's like, Hey, I had all the wisdom of God. I knew all this stuff, but I chose not to implement it, and it was all for naught. Like the whole, path, the whole book is, is basically him just saying, Man, I regret knowing all this stuff and actually obeying any of it. Who cares what you know if you don't obey it? <laughs> I'm serious. As a pastor who hires people, like character is a pretty big deal for me. So I would rather have someone who knows 20% of the Bible, but obeys 20% on our staff than someone who knows 80% of the Bible, but only obeys 60%. And you're saying, but Adam, I'm like 20%, 60% is a pretty big deal. And I'm like, but I would say, what's the discrepancy with the 20% you're not obeying God? This is the last thing I got, and I'll, and I'll end with this. And this was what I was getting during worship. And I just wrote it down. Wisdom manifests more in character than in deed. I'm going to say this again. Wisdom manifests more in character than in deed. We'll say, oh, that's wise because they made a good choice. But I would say it's wise because they made a choice for the right reasons. God cares about the character more than even the action. Wisdom manifests more in character than in deed. God doesn't want you to simply make the right choices. He wants them to be made for the right reasons. And how many of us have been going through the external motions, making the right choices, doing the right things, but perhaps weary or embittered or consumed or or, or worried about reputation or perception, and and we're not operating this love devotion with Jesus. And he's saying, that's not wise. I don't care how good, and the Bible calls people like that Pharisees, and they call them whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you're dying on the inside true wisdom of God manifests more in character than even in deed. Yes, your works will follow and the fruit will be there. But may they be a result of something transformative in your heart because you're agreeing with God on the inside more than just behaving right on the outside. Will you stand with me? I just, I have like this jealousy in my heart for you. Like, it's like, it's hard to even put in words where I'm like, I want the blinders to be removed. I feel like there's like this blinders in some of you and you are you feel it even. You're like, I feel like I'm wandering. I feel like I'm in the dark. And God's like, I want to take off the blinders. I want you to see rightly. I want you to be wise. I want you to have my mind. I want you to have my heart in the matter. And I want to give you the courage to obey me when I when I reveal things to you. So we're going to have a time of response, and as always, this is the most important part of the evening. So thank you for hanging in there. I'm sorry I went so late. But I want you to respond to the Lord. And it's however you personally are, being honest before God. Don't, Don't care about me or anyone else's opinion about anything. But there's a place for you to say, God, am I resisting you? Do I think I know better? God, do I even know what wisdom sounds like? If it smacked me in the face, would I know what it looks like? Or on the other end, God, have I been just absorbing soundbite after soundbite after soundbite, you know, talking head after talking head, Instagram, TikTok, you know, whatever post after post. And I'm actually having all this noise that's actually making it really hard for me to even discern you. Because really the most important thing you do is just get alone with him and let him tell you who he is. And let you tell, let him tell you what's on his heart. And let him show you what truth really is. And that way you don't have to take somebody else's revelation, but you can live off your own personal revelation with Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to just to come forward. And, you can, and I would just say spread out, whatever that looks like. But just respond to Jesus and get real with him and say, God. Like, and don't resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the Holy Spirit that's talking to you. So that you might be free, which is wisdom. Okay? Sometimes we want to resist the Holy Spirit. I actually pray the opposite. I say, God, may your Holy Spirit's conviction rest on my heart. I, you always have a place at the table of my heart, God, to bring conviction. Because the moment I silence you, silence is that, I silence wisdom in my life. And so you have the right to change, convict, provoke, bring me to my knees. God, do whatever you need to do. So I'm going to pray, the band's going to lead us, and I'm just saying, come and make space anywhere up here, move around, do whatever you need to do. but respond to Lord, don't leave just numbing out. I say, God, come and increase wisdom. May my generation be the generation that changes the planet because of how we abide and agree with God. So Lord, that's my prayer. I thank you for these students. I thank you for what you're doing among the college ministry. I thank you, God, that you are... You are depositing even right now. I, I, I believe God's spirit is 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 weighing on people's hearts and minds right now, and they can feel it. It's like it's it's even mildly uncomfortable, but lean into it, friends. Don't pull away. Don't check out. But lean into it because God is wanting to speak wisdom in places that you need to be free in. God wants to deliver you from bondage that you think I can't get free from. God wants to give you help in restoring a relationship that you think is hopeless. And he wants to teach you to stop being reactive, but to be respondent to him. And he's wanting to give you these skills that you might grow in wisdom. That's the desire of God's heart. So Lord, as as students, even now, I just invite you just to start responding. God, as students respond, I pray, Father, that you would meet with them, that you would stir their affections, that you'd overwhelm them with your love and kindness. God, but they would leave more wise, more like Jesus than ever before. God, we, have, we give you permission to offend our minds tonight. God, you can offend us and tell us something that we don't want to hear because we know that you are wiser than we are. So would you come and would you stir our affections, we pray. In Jesus' name.